Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Dan Lust joined this week by Mike Lawson. What's up, Mike? Hey, Dan. Very, very excited about the March Madness games. I've been loving watching them. March Madness is upon us. It has been a uh, a weekend full of madness. We are recording this on Monday night, so first breather from the tournament. It's been a year of upsets with Fairleigh Dickinson over in uh, nearby New Jersey taking on some upsets, and obviously Princeton as well, making it to the Sweet 16. So let's do this, Mike. I got a, a little bit on March Madness. I think we're due for an update on the John Moran stuff. And then I think we have some fun topics to cover. So let's do this, Mike. Mike, what's uh, how's your bracket doing? Bracket's doing okay? I'm in first place in my office league. So I'm wow. reigning, I'm reigning champ. This third year I've been in it. I was second place my first year. And I got first place last year. I'm currently in first place. And I have a second bracket in that league as well that's in third. So I'm sitting pretty at the top. So long as Houston or Alabama wins, I'm in it. How many people are in this bracket? Like six? 48. That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive for 48. I'm not sure how sophisticated these people are in your pool that you can keep winning or if you're just uh, that good at March Madness. Generally, it's pretty random, Mike. So what are you picking? Random upsets? How, how are you How are you doing well in this cycle? I picked Furman. I followed the ACC pretty closely this year. So I had a feeling that UVA was not going to be good. And I actually watched the championship game between Penn State and Purdue. And Penn State, I think, should have won that champ- the, the conference championship. So I knew Purdue was going to lose. I did not pick them losing in the first round, but I had them losing, not even making it to the Sweet 16. So that didn't hurt me too much by them losing right away. But I, I had Furman. I knew I knew that uh, that UVA did not look good this year. Uh, most of I had Duke losing too to Tennessee. The ACC was just a weird year, but Miami's still going strong, and I have I have them moving on as well. Well, Mike, that is very impressive. Obviously, your your bracket is uh, my mine is not doing hot. I guess the reason I bring it up, Mike, we have to do this each and every time. We do have, I'll say, crazies that exist in the sports realm. We had this that I think dropped right after the podcast came out. Last week we recorded uh, on Monday this time. So I'm going to read this straight from the the uh, message boards, a Rutgers message board called The Night Report. We'll give credit where credit's due. Someone, a poster by the name of Rutgers Al, who's a Hall of Famer on the message boards. I'm just going to read this off. Season ticket holders have standing, I think. File a class action lawsuit. Invite Rutgers to join. File an emergency injunction to postpone the tournament until our case is resolved. Subpoena the minutes that went into the deliberations that determined who was included and why. The NCAA process is arbitrary, capricious, and unfair because lesser teams were chosen ahead of us. Most impartial bracketologists had Rutgers in the tournament. The NCAA improperly considered a recent injury to a player and our recent swoon as reasons to exclude us and ask the court to add Rutgers as the tournament. And the question, Mike, is one of these great clickbait titles. Can we sue, all caps, the NCAA? So, Mike, you know, we uh, I think you saw us. I was having fun with this on Tuesday. So, listen, Rutgers fans put this out. Uh, I think by all indications, they were one of the biggest snubs in the field. I think they had like a 19 and 15 record. So on first glance, so I'm 19 and 15. That's like not so obviously tournament bound. They had some big wins on the resume, but I don't know, you have 15 losses. I'm not going to feel too bad for you. So anyway, Rutgers has this on on Selection Sunday. The narrative on the message boards continues on to Monday, like people are actually wondering if Rutgers fans are going to sue and get an injunction. Mike, as fate would have it, we'll call this the the law of ball don't lie. By Tuesday, opening round of the NIT, local Hofstra, one of our local schools, eliminates Rutgers first round from the NIT. So Mike, you can't really cry about being worthy of an NCAA tournament bid if you lose in the first round of the NIT. Mike, are you a Rutgers guy? You're like a Philly, North Jersey guy. 
Not a Rutgers guy. No, 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 no. I'm I'm Cuse through and through. I never really had a college team that I was a diehard for until I ended up at Cuse. But I think it's funny that they lose first round. And you know, to Hofstra. Now, does Hofstra have a claim? Now, does Hofstra? You know, if if I think that's what happens. If Rutgers had such a strong claim, and then Hofstra wins, maybe Hofstra was the one that got snubbed. Maybe Hofstra got snubbed, but then Hofstra, I was following. They lost to. Uh, <laughs> Cincinnati in a couple rounds later. So it all canceled itself out. But we bring this up this time of the year. There are going to be, and I see the, I don't mean to, I know a lot of people that have affiliations to Rutgers. I know Conlon who pops on the podcast sometimes. We have a lot of friends at Rutgers, so I don't want to call them all crazies, but I will call the crazies who responded to this uh, message board fodder a little bit crazy. And then you have the people that want to sue, right? Purdue for a uh, you know, negligent infliction of emotional harm. You know, you have people that lose their brackets with 16s and 1s and, you know, go on and so forth. The The bottom line, let's at least talk about for betting. If you're a better of one of these teams who have no standing to sue whatsoever, none, zero, you do not represent the interests of any of these teams involved. So you cannot sue as a better if somebody loses or anything like that. Even if there's like a cheating scandal, you have no standing to sue. As we learned from the Spygate saga and Bill Belichick once upon a time, you might be aggrieved. You might think there is some cognizable harm to you, but as a third party better to one of these events, you do not have standing. Now, with respect to Rutgers season ticket holders, maybe they have standing to sue with some potential harm that's caused to the university. But absent there being some like Rutgers assenting to this type of lawsuit, I don't think they would have standing, number one. But number two, like, do we really think there's like a plot, a conspiracy to go after Rutgers? Like, no, these committees are put together. They want to put the best teams in. There's no... You know, unless there's some proven discovery and some committee notes that really show that there's some like arbitrary and, and really improper and illegal reason for not putting Rutgers in, so be it. Listen, Mike, at the end of the day, they're 19 and 15. Do you feel bad for a 19 and 15 team? No. That was the first thing I saw. I saw their record, and I was like, if they had like maybe three losses on the season, maybe you can put up right. a five. But again, what kind of takes – I don't know. that it's It does kind of seem arbitrary sometimes because like there's years that like – Syracuse had a pretty poor record, you know, double digit losses and then snuck in as like a 12 seed. And I'm like, is that because the program like Syracuse for, for like, you know, TV, you know, nobody knows, you know, if you take FDU, I mean, people know Rutgers, but not as a, as a basketball powerhouse. So I I don't know, 19 to 15 doesn't really, uh, there's nothing to write home about. Doesn't scream injustice. So that's your, that's your yearly reminder for March Madness to someone Screws up your bracket. Like I had a very expensive bracket that I was eliminated in very early. Can't sue anybody. Tough luck. That's what we call Mike. Mike, the assumption of the risk, the assumption of fandom. The law of ball don't lie. Okay, let's do this one quick. Let's talk about John Moran and then our topics we're going to cover today. We're going to cover an update in the uh, Master Square Garden, banning lawyers from the stadium and James Dolan saga. We're going to talk about Joe Mixon, a story we covered very quickly a couple weeks ago. Certainly a big update there. Aaron Rodgers, last time we recorded this podcast last Monday, we jokingly assumed that he had signed, that the trade actually was official to the Jets. A week later, we're still not there. And some updates on the uh, Washington Commanders, Roger Goodell front. This one I'll do really quick, Mike. So we spent a lot of time last episode, Evan and Justin were on with me. We did a full timeline of the John Morant saga. We talked about how weird it was that the you know the Grizzlies put out a two-game suspension. What was the NBA going to do? They were currently investigating. So fast forward, unless you live in a bubble, and maybe we'll assume some of the listeners of our podcast don't follow social media, don't follow this stuff. Otherwise, the NBA comes out and announces an eight-game suspension for John Morant. They're going to say, hey, John Morant missed some games in excess of that two-game suspension that he served with the Grizzlies. So we're going to apply some of that retroactively so John Morant can return pretty quickly. I think he can actually return on Wednesday of this week. So that would be the 22nd. So, you know, we we went over the laundry list last episode. I find something to be odd, Mike. And you can tell me if you agree with this, disagree with this, because sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm quick to put the uh, tinfoil hat on and other times 
Maybe I'm missing it, but this this one I, I find interesting. So John Morant goes to counseling on his own. That's the story that we had on Friday. We covered it here. He goes to counseling in Florida, pops down to Adam Silver's office. He meets with uh, Jalen Rose. They do a little segment, a little apology tour situation. So, Mike, I remember a scenario way back when. Maybe maybe you remember this. You're not that much younger than me. Do you remember what happened to Gilbert Arenas? Do you know? Do you remember what happened with him? You're yeah. not. What happened with I, Gilbert Arenas? And Gilbert Arenas brought a weapon into the locker room when he was on the Wizards. Wizards, Javaris Crittenton was the guy. He's only known for this incident. No one else will remember Javaris Crittenton for any other reason other than this. I'll tell you the urban legend, because obviously you and I were not there for this incident. I think I think people were, are aware that we were not firsthand giving a firsthand account. Here's the story. Gilbert Arenas allegedly, supposedly, got into some type of dispute with Javaris Crittenton, former you know Washington Wizard. And there was some dispute, I think it was over cards or something, some some type of like recreational purpose. And in carrying through with that little saga, little spat, as rumor has it, Gilbert Reyes brings a gun into the locker room and basically says, you know that fight we're having, Javaris? This is my gun. What are you going to do about it? So, you know, paraphrasing a little bit, but he brings a gun into the NBA locker room. Nothing happens. No shots are fired. But a gun is brought in in the context of some sort of a dispute, some sort of settling of differences. And guess who finds out about it? The late David Stern. Basically, Stern takes... Uh, Gilbert Arenas and goes, listen, you know what's happening right now? You're going to get suspended for the rest of the season. That's it. That's what's happening. So fast forward. I don't know how many years ago that was. That was probably like closer to 2000. So closer to like 20 years ago. So yeah, right around there. And, and Gilbert Arenas was not, was never at any point like this young and upcoming phenom, the face of the league. He was obviously an all-star a guy that had his moments, but he was not like a John Morant-esque guy, probably a tier or two below where John Morant is. So nine. Okay, more recent than I thought. So it was like 14 years ago. Mike, John Morant, in that laundry list of things, pulls out a gun at a strip club and is posing and makes a comment about Draymond Green. There's a situation a couple weeks prior where people in John Morant's group allegedly pointed laser pointers at members of the Indiana Pacers as they're leaving. So a lot of gun references, you know, not the best look, but the NBA comes out and they said, you know what? That gun that belonged to John Morant, this is what came out since our last podcast, that was not his gun. He didn't. Uh, have it other than for a brief period of time in the you know in this video and it wasn't his and he didn't have it on a team plane as far as we're aware so therefore we're suspending him only for eight games and that's going to be retroactive mike before before i give it to you i just want to give you one more decision point here so gilbert arenas gun in a stadium suspended for the rest of the season so we'll, we'll pretend that's a, a very large number i don't know the exact number i think it's probably closer to 30 games okay john Morant gets eight games and they apply it retroactively mike do you remember how many games kyrie irving got suspended for it said at least five games, he ended up serving an eight-game suspension. We have to weigh all these things here. I would tell you that I actually, maybe this is an unpopular opinion, I think if you put a gun out in social media and you display it willfully in a in a strip club, I don't care how if it's a small gun, people are laughing at how small this gun was. I don't care if it was for one second. If you're promoting something like that, and and the NBA views that as being against their code of conduct, obviously their rules against having a gun in a, in a private sphere like that, if you think that's a suspendable offense, I'm not sure why that's so much different than like bringing a gun into a stadium. You're still bringing a gun to where maybe innocent people are. Maybe they're not NBA players, but maybe that's warranting of a larger suspension. And then Kyrie Irving didn't, I mean, whether they're, uh, you know, maybe I'm somewhat biased to this, but like the anti-Semitic comments and his inability to like apologize for this. John Marion's obviously apologized for everything he's done. Kyrie Irving was like, refusing to apologize and offending a lot of people in the process. Maybe, um, I don't know, but I, I I don't think what Kyrie Irving did as an eight game suspension ultimately. And what John Morant did are at, at any point similar, but 
I don't know, somehow you landed on eight games. Anyway, Mike, what do you think about these, where we landed on John Morant? I, I find it to be somewhat somewhat interesting. Yeah, I think also it's the buildup, right? Like this has been like the John Morant kind of month-long type of this conduct detrimental that they keep citing, right? So I think the actual, in terms of conduct detrimental, it's precedent is very subjective. And, you know, with Gilbert Arenas bringing the gun into the stadium they were saying like you know no weapons of of any means on you know team property building property you know team planes you know anything like that and they're trying to differentiate because of like criminal activities or i I don't even know if it's a criminal activity brandishing a weapon wherever he was you know outside you know in in the public sphere versus within the realm of basketball And, and i know that's that's weird to to think about, but they try to differentiate between, you know, conduct that has nothing to do with the NBA, so long as it's not criminal outside of the sport versus inside of it, I guess. I mean, that's the only that's the only reasoning I have for this. The eight games is to set a precedent that, you know, actions like this would not be tolerated, but it's not elevated to like the level of Gilbert Arenas because like the NBA as an institution wasn't necessarily harmed by this because like a gun wasn't on their property or any sort of repercussions like that. I mean, in terms of Kyrie Irving, like that's what I'm also a little biased on this. I think it was the NBA versus Kyrie Irving for a while there where they were just doing anything they possibly could can to, you know, show that show Kyrie Irving that they were superior. They were the enforcer on actions that he was taking, that he wasn't taking accountability for or whatnot. But again, he was saying that these are my beliefs, my personal beliefs and things like that. So in a, in a weird circular kind of answer, I mean, I think that the NBA is trying to protect themselves and that's the whole conduct detrimental premise, right? Any conduct that's detrimental to the NBA as an institution. And if you kind of enter that bubble with any sort of potential harm or threat to them, then yes, like a Gilbert Arena situation, that's definitely going to be more of a, of a cause for, we need to set a precedent that this cannot happen. But in an incident where John Morant doesn't necessarily get any sort of criminal repercussions, you know, brandishes a weapon on Instagram. I think that the NBA is trying to enforce a precedent of this type of conduct as conduct detrimental, but not so grossly, you know, negligent as Gilbert Arenas bringing a weapon into the stadium. So I guess the part I wanted to at least touch on too, we talked a little bit about Powerade deal last time. The other update on that front is that Powerade has temporarily pulled their ad campaign with John Moran, and it's unclear whether or not they're going to terminate it, you know, long term. So I guess these commercials uh, were going to be shown at, a, at some pretty peak times with respect to college basketball. So according to um, one of these reports, these were supposed to be seen in a series of commercials ahead of the March Madness college basketball tournament. So we were supposed to see these infamous, I don't know, infamous, famous John Moran commercials. Now, imagine if this incident had happened like a little bit after the commercial, these commercials were running. So we had an interesting conversation with my, with my class tonight. Like, I think the NBA has to be a little bit delicate with the handling of John Morant because John Morant has a Nike deal. He's got a Powerade deal. If let's say, you know, Adam Silver came out and said, yeah, the precedent was set with Gilbert Arenas. You bring a gun and you put players, you know, people in harm's way. That's the precedent we've set. Maybe it's not going to be, you know, the entire season. But listen, Gilbert Arenas only had that one incident. You, John Morant, have like four or five things in the past six months. We think it's akin and worthy of a season-ending suspension. He didn't do that. But then I wonder, right, like what these conversations were that were happening. Because if I was John Morant's team, I would look at what Kyrie Irving got and say, like, Kyrie Irving got eight games. And he, you know, what he said was terrible and this and that, right? 
I think John Moran's team would have some points to say, like, we shouldn't be treated like Kyrie Irving. But then again, like, I don't know, quantity, quality. I'm, I'm not going to not want to say which is worse in terms of like overall, like, you know, what, what's worse the brand. I do find it odd that the NBA kind of lazily settles at the same kind of suspension for both five games, eight games, whatever. But I have a sense this is this is me. That for Powerade, right, we don't know what the contract says as in between, you know, Powerade and John Morant. I would find like some of these marketing deals, and I, I look at a couple of them, right, in my my personal practice. If someone's charged with a misdemeanor or charged with a felony, that's sometimes uh, grounds for deleting or for terminating a contract. Sometimes you're going to have language, Mike, like you just said, conduct detrimental. But in a marketing contract, it'll be like, you know, actions that are harmful to the reputation of the actual brand. So that would hear, I'm assuming that language applies, which I'm sure it does. I'm sure that would be in that contract. Powerade has the right to either indefinitely delay or, or potentially terminate after a certain amount of time. So that's number one. And I think that the NBA, this is my personal sense, would be in consultation with Powerade. Like this is a guy, this is an NBA star that has a Powerade deal. And Powerade, you know, has had deals with NBA athletes for years and years and years. I think if the NBA came out and suspended John Morant for like a year, like for a calendar year, I think Powerade would cut bait with him immediately, right? Just like Nike kind of did in the wake of the Kyrie Irving saga. So I tend to think that this was a negotiated punishment between John Morant's camp. Like, hey, don't complain that this was punishment was too tight. Hey, Kyrie, you know, Ja, we appreciate that ahead of time you went to counseling because Kyrie Irving didn't do that. So let's all powwow. Let's make this thing out. Let's make the punishment retroactive so you can play during the playoffs. You know, so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm reading this. I, I think it was some type of like joint resolution, which I don't know. I don't think anyone I'm not hearing anyone scream about the punishment, but I think this was a kind of a, a collaborative effort. That's that's my perception. No, I agree. And it's the association, right? Like you said, with the with the sponsorship contracts, the association of the actions that John Morant was having. So I was actually kind of surprised. You know, I don't I don't know. You know, in the context of Kyrie Irving, you talk about like Gilbert Arenas, it was kind of like a one-off thing, but it was like so heinous. But like with Kyrie, like we also saw like this pattern of like anti-institution, like he was like against the NBA, he was going to make his own rules, he wasn't going to show up for practice, he wasn't going to, you know, he was, and then he he said, you know, a terrible, terrible comment. So it, that was kind of a culmination too, which led up to the eight games. So maybe if you look at the scope of if you look at the total precedent, like maybe Kyrie's was too much, but again, with everything that led up to that, I think that's, that was what was kind of negotiated. But again, Kyrie losing Nike wasn't necessarily related to the NBA, but related to Nike, not wanting to associate with the actions and statements that Kyrie was making. So it, it's kind of twofold there where this, you know, Ja has owned up to it. He's apologized. He had that one-on-one -on -one with Jalen Rose, which I think was sincere. I watched it. it. It appeared sincere. I mean, he clearly has some, you know, maybe, you know, bad influences in his life. He's still young. He's going to make mistakes. So if he owns up to apologize, it maybe, you know, maybe that's what Powerade was looking for. And and uh, and the negotiations with the NBA led to an eight-game suspension. So just to put a pin in this, I actually researched it. It was a 50-game suspension for Gilbert Arena. So 6x more what John Morant got. So do we think that bringing a gun to a stadium is – Six times worse than posing with it on social media and the other four or five things with John Morant? Probably not. Seems maybe just a change in uh, in perception as in between David Stern and Adam Silver, but I don't know. There's got to be a point in the middle. So I, I tend to think, someone can yell at me, I think the John Morant punishment was a little lenient in terms of the precedent that was set. I, I might also argue that the Kyrie Irving punishment was a little lenient, but neither here nor there. So let's stick on this, Mike. We talked a little bit about March Madness. We are having the Sweet 16 by me at MSG in the next uh, next couple of days, depending on when you're listening to this. So 
We talked about this saga once upon a time. We have an update. And obviously, I think the story close to you and I, because we're New Yorkers, but we're also lawyers that like to attend a sporting event game. So MSG has a policy, just a little bit of background, and I'll, I'll let you do the update, Mike, but a little bit of background for those that are unfamiliar. Madison Square Garden is the arena where the Knicks and the Rangers play. It is uh, owned, both teams are owned by James Dolan, who's the embattled sports owner of both teams. So he had a policy, very controversial policy, that if you were a lawyer on a case that was uh, suing Madison Square Garden or one of their affiliates, you were not going to be allowed into the arena. Now, they would use facial recognition. They would use different ways to kind of sniff you out at the door, which kind of seems gross. But listen, if you're a lawyer and you've made the choice to sue Madison Square Garden for something, maybe that makes sense in some kind of crazy world. But then, Mike, it went one step further. It wasn't just those that were directly named counsel in these particular cases. It was any lawyer in that particular firm. Right, Mike, it might have even gone to like any like support staff. Any staff. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, any staff. And then it wasn't just like, like, let's say, again, I'm not going to get in my soapbox, but let's say you sued Madison Square Garden for a slip and fall in the arena. Maybe I can make the argument that like, it doesn't, you shouldn't be allowed to conduct like a site inspection, like a quote unquote site inspection without the other side being present. So like, I get it. If it's a suit against Madison Square Garden. But what uh, the reports are is that if you sued like an affiliate, right, or like an uh, outside property of Madison Square Garden, but it happened to be owned somehow by the arena, you weren't allowed in the arena to watch games. So like I've been to Madison Square Garden. There's like the special like Hulu theater. I've watched like the NBA draft lottery in there. Like we took our uh, our daughters to like Coco Melon. I don't know if people know what Coco Melon is, but like the Hulu theater is very different than like the actual and like Madison Square Garden, like uh, arena, it's a separate incident. But like there was no specifics that were played to like where, what type of firm, like what type of lawsuit you had, where it was. It was just like, you know what? If you're on the website of your firm and you sued, you know, you're suing MSG, like that's it. You can't come in. So Mike, that's essentially what's going on with MSG. So I am very excited for this update, Mike. Yeah, I know you've been kind of digging around on this. What is what is the latest on uh, on this front? What do we have? So I think what, what was interesting too, you talked about if you had sued any sort of subsidiary of MSG Entertainment, you know, all of Dolan's properties. I think what the the news that came out about this was an attorney for somebody who was actively suing MSG or Dolan was trying to enter into Radio City Music Hall, if I'm correct. And they were denied access to Radio City Music Hall, which wasn't even, you know, a part of the lawsuit. But it this in particular. Because it, you know, Radio City Music Hall is owned by James Dolan and it's a part of the MSG Entertainment, you know, incorporation. They were denied access based on that, you know. So, so that was that. That's a piece of it as well, right? You're denied access for, from all MSG properties, no matter what. So, if this was specifically catered towards one team or one property, it, it encompassed everything. So, the news that has come out from this is the New York State. Liquor Authority has been investigating James Dolan and what they are claiming is that this facial recognition technology and denial of people from the general public access to their facilities violates their beverage laws. So particularly like the, the general aspect of that is that, you know, they have to, you know, to maintain your liquor license, you have to have access. Everyone has access. The general public has access to you. And the fact that they're I guess what they're claiming as an arbitrary denial of of access, right? Like if you're somebody who goes to a stadium and makes a fool of yourself, gets drunk, runs on the court, you know, causes a scene, has some sort of criminal action, then that might be exempt from this. But in this particular case, 
They, you know, they think they're investigating this to see if this is some sort of arbitrary violation of the beverage laws, thus potentially losing their liquor license, which again, wouldn't just be for Madison Square Garden, but all of their properties. So that's Radio City Music Hall. And I think the Eons Beacon Theater as well. So all, all these properties that has an active audience of different forms of entertainment with alcohol that's sold there. So the news that is here is that Dolan allegedly hired a private investigator to follow the investigator who was heading up the New York State Liquor License Authority's investigation of Madison Square Garden. The New York State Liquor Authority hired a, a retired police captain, Charles Saval, who was, you know, conducting an investigation into Madison Square Garden, you know, Enterprise Entertainment Incorporation to see if the actions that they're making, like these, you know, restricting anybody who has some sort of active litigation, you know, the restricting that that firm from the stadiums or the properties is a violation of the New York State Liquor Authority's, you know, beverage laws. So Dolan, they're claiming that Dolan hired a private investigator to follow Charles Serval, and he claims he followed him for over 100 miles in a vehicle throughout, I, I guess, Manhattan. I, I don't really know the extent of the destinations of where he was going. I'm, I'm assuming this probably was over multiple days, but he was going back to his residence in Queens, was still followed by this, I think it was a, a Chevy and then was then parked outside of his, his house, taking photos of his house. So he calls New York, uh, you know, NYPD, tells them you know, somebody's following him. They end up pulling over this vehicle, and he states that he has been hired by James Dolan. Madison Square Garden, you know, didn't deny this. They acknowledged that they actually hired a private investigator, and they're saying that all of these actions are common and lawful. So thus, that there's nothing wrong with what they were doing, and. I mean, everything that's happening here, and Dan, I'm going to kick it to you for the, the lawsuit that, that Dolan files against the New York State Liquor Authority is, you know, they are just really blasting against, you know, the New York State Liquor Authority, you know, cl basically claiming that the plaintiff's attorneys who had been rejected and restricted from these properties, like including Radio City Music Hall, Madison Square Garden, have been kind of using the liquor authority to do their bidding by by making these actions and this investigation to potentially threaten them to lose their liquor license. So I'm just going to read a quote here. Dolan said that in, in the context of he's talking about the New York State Liquor Authority, this gangster-like governmental organization has finally run up against an entity that won't cower in the face of their outrageous abuses. And then continues, we are taking a stand on behalf of our fans and the many small businesses who have long been subject to the state liquor authorities corruption. And then just one more quote, and I'll kick it to you, Dan, because I know that they filed, they recently just filed in the Manhattan Supreme Court because they're claiming that there's an abuse of power here by the New York State Liquor Authority. So MSG's co-counsel, Jim Walden, also made a statement. And in part, he says that we have found credible evidence of actual collusion with the state liquor authority being weaponized to do the bidding of the plaintiff's lawyers. Now the state liquor authority is blocking our effort to get all evidence. So again, further backing that they're claiming that the state liquor authority is only really doing the bidding because of these plaintiff's attorneys who were restricted from all the properties of James Dolan. Call it collusion or call it just like, hey, this is not fair to attorneys that you are uh, banning certain people from the arena or banning people from like I don't know, uh, Radio City Music Hall. So whether you call it collusion or just like, I don't know, stepping up for what is right under given circumstances. Like, so I don't love the concept that if you're at a firm and let's say you're, let's say, Mike, you're at an, a thousand lawyer firm, like a, a big law firm, right? Or a big insurance defense firm, one of these big firms and someone in a random office in like uh, Arizona 
sues MSG for something, right? That everyone in the entire firm and all the support staff can't go to games and MSG makes. You might not even have any idea that you, that you're actively suing MSG. So listen, they can blame, you know, James Dolan and MSG could blame these plaintiff's attorneys and they're acting in cahoots with state liquor authority. I just think it's a little bit, again, I don't make the joke. Sometimes it's a little bit of the assumption of the risk. You act unfairly towards attorneys and guess what might happen, right? You might get treated unfairly by A, attorneys coming after you more than they otherwise would, or B, getting sued by more stuff. So here, you know, state liquor authority is not not starting the lawsuit. I don't want to get into it so much, but some um, get into as much as we need to. So it's an Article 78 proceeding. It's basically a state. It's a proceeding challenging uh, administrative arm of, of New York State. So we're not going to get so far into it, assuming this case progresses. But why why we want to bring it up here and why James Dolan decided to, quote unquote, preemptively sue the state liquor authority. And this guy, uh, Sharif Kabir, the executive officer of the state liquor authority, this guy, Michael Amarato, the assistant general counsel, and this Charles Straval, who you've mentioned is getting tailed and chased chased around, allegedly, reportedly, by, by Dolan. The main cause of relief or that you should wonder, if you're wondering, hey, why, why would MSG sue? They're seeking a preliminary injunction from the SLA from kind of enforcing any type of uh, violations against them and any type of findings against them saying that it's improper and illegal. So I think they're just trying to get ahead of the state liquor authority taking away their liquor license. So that's what seemingly is intended to happen here. So Mike, I read this brief. I, I mean, we're going to maybe get into it in a later episode, but this is a very long brief, right? This is, it's an excess 150 paragraphs. This is a loaded, loaded complaint. This is one of these complaints. And I went over, we were going over the Brian Flores complaint in my, in my class tonight. That was another just like massive, massive complaint. I think for Brian Flores' purposes, I think those attorneys in that case, and my words, you know, my personal opinion, I think that they put way too much in that particular complaint. They ended up over-promising and under-delivering. Mike, you shouted out some fun excerpts from this lawsuit, right? The comparison to the mob and they're acting outside their authority. I think this is playing up to the crowd a little bit. So we didn't cover this in the show, but back on January 26th, um, New York Times had an article. I think others had it as well. This seems like Dolan was on some type of show of some sort. Quote, Mr. Dolan trolled an obscure government official, Sharif Kabir. It's the guy named in the lawsuit, chief executive of the New York State Liquor Authority. By holding aloft a flyer bearing Mr. Kabir's photo and contact information, so thirsty fans might, quote, tell him to stick to his knitting. So Dolan wants to make this campaign, like, make it like, hey, Rangers and Knicks fans that like to drink, this guy's the enemy. It's not me. Mike, let me ask you something. Have you ever heard of this term? Tell him to stick to knitting. I had to look that one up. Have you ever heard of that before? Stick to knitting? Like, is that like a like a retirement joke or like an old joke? I've never heard of it. I had to look it up. It's definitely a dated reference. It means like stick to the things that you know about. I thought it was a literal knitting reference, in which oh. case like, maybe more of a burn. Oh, guess, I think- yeah, because knitting is kind of like a specialty, right? Like not everyone knows how to knit. So if you know how to knit, then like just stick to like what you know. Yeah, but this is my question. Like, this is the same issue I have in, like, you know, the John Ruiz saga over in the NCA. Like, why are you coming after the state liquor authority? Like, they can make your life very difficult. Like, why would you come after the NCA? Like, if you're John Ruiz and say, like, the NCA will cease to exist. I will end you. I will sue you. Like, aren't you inviting them to just, like, make your life miserable? Like, isn't that, like, again, maybe my third assumption of the risk joke here. Like, aren't you asking, uh, aren't you, like, you reap what you sow? Like, aren't you kind of asking for it at a certain point? Yeah, you're definitely barking up the wrong tree by, you know, going after somebody who's giving you the authority to sell alcohol at your venues. I mean, and he's even fueling the fire for the New York State Liquor Authority by he's in that context. He's like 
showing them of how much power he has by all the alcohol that he sells at all of his you know facilities so he's like look at all these people love to drink and that's the only reason they come so that's basically him saying like okay if you shut me down like nobody's going to come to my facility you know normally i i don't have a rooting interest but this whole era of facial recognition kind of spooks me out i don't love being banned from arenas if as an attorney so i go on a limb here and say i am rooting for the lawyers in this one. And I'm rooting for, you know, James Dolan to not invoke this policy. I don't necessarily need him to lose, but I don't, I don't love this policy. Okay. So quick reminder, our podcast sponsored by Theme Spar Review are the longest running sponsor on our podcast. We are in March. So you're getting close to bar prep right now. If you're feeling a little like anxious about the exam, don't worry. Themis, our friends over there, use our promo code GoodSport500 for a massive, massive discount. And if you're like, how much is that discount, Dan? Punch in Good Sport 500. You'll see exactly how much it is. Or just hit us up and we will walk you through that particular process. Mike, let us stick on this for one minute. Podcast also sponsored by Better Edge over there. Use our promo code CONDUCT for $20 match bonus over there. Conlon, on his most recent episode, had on Greg Kajuski, our friend over at Better Edge this past week. So they did a live episode, an episode of Bench Points. He did a good episode with Greg. Conlon's not giving us any winning picks, and he was rooting for Rutgers to make the tournament. So, no, well, Conlon's over here. But listen, we Colin, do our- Conlon's actually that uh, the Reddit poster. He is. Actually, Conlon was the, the, the guy posting for Rutgers. Yeah, that's, that's actually what's happening. He's a, he's a Hall of Fame Redditor. Let's do this, Mike. Let us stick to the gridiron, and we'll finish out this episode. We'll keep this one relatively tight. I think we got three things in football. We got Joe Mixon, we got Aaron Rodgers, Washington Commanders, and then we'll tie a bow in it with Roger Goodell. So we joked, and I think we said it here, but we joked like last week there was reports by that guy Dove Kleinman, who I guess is like professional aggregator on social media. He doesn't exist other than to just aggregate stories. So he said, breaking the Aaron Rodgers to New York Jets is done. And he goes, per Trey Wingo. So then everybody yelled at Dove Kleinman. I think Garrett Wilson on the Jets. I think it was Garrett Wilson, right? You nodding? It was Garrett Wilson? Yeah. Garrett Wilson said, oh, I saw that guy Dove posted. So the Jets are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because Aaron Rodgers has gone on Pat McAfee show and said, I want my intentions to play for the Jets. You have Jets wide receivers and Jets players that were kind of cheering on social media when they thought it was official. And it wasn't. And now we're caught. In a world where Jets fans are kind of being left to either pay King's ransom, like the Knicks did with Carmelo Anthony once upon a time when he made it known that the only place he wanted to go was the Knicks, and the Knicks had to pay a very steep price to get him. The Jets, uh, there was a report last week that the Jets are are nowhere close to getting a deal done for Aaron Rodgers, and, and the Packers are holding this up. So I'll leave it to you, Mike. This thing is like getting kind of saucy all of a sudden, like Rodgers is yelling at ESPN. I don't know. What, what do we got? Yeah, I mean, Rodgers is even taking shots at Adam Schefter. I mean, Adam Schefter is tweeting out, like, screenshots from from texts, you know, where Aaron Rodgers was telling, you know, Adam Schefter to lose his number. Aaron Rodgers went on Barstool and was saying, basically, that he has a super close-knit circle or, you know, really, really tight circle. I appreciated most of the fans, like, comments under that being like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers – tight circle is Aaron Rodgers. Like that's, it's just him. Basically Aaron Rodgers went, went on to say that, you know, a lot of these, you know, big reporters, namely Adam Schefter, whenever they're reporting on any news regarding Aaron Rodgers, it's not true because they don't know anything and they have no in with his circle. So they, they have no idea, you know, where he's going and not to believe him. 
And then, you know, obviously this was posed by, you know, by the question of like, are you going to the Jets? And then at the end, he was like, well, I still want to play for the Jets in 2023. So like, I, that's, that was my plan all along. So uh, I guess Adam Schefter was right, even though he was wrong, but I don't know. I think this is just some sort of hype here, right? Aaron Rodgers is 39. Definitely. We've seen in the last couple of years, he's passed. I, I want to say he's past his prime. He's still a great quarterback, but he can't do it without the talent that was around him, right? He he loses Devontae Adams and, you know, his numbers go down. He's got a, a young cast a, around him. He's got an older Randall Cobb who can't handle the same amount of touches that, you know, he did earlier. So is this really what the Jets even want coming in? If you're a Jets fan, do you want like an old guard, you know, faded, you know, quarterback who might not, who might give you 25 touchdowns a year? The over-under, because I had to look this up, for Aaron Rodgers for touchdowns is 31, and for yardage right now is 4,050. So the rule of thumb, rule of thumb, always grab the unders when it comes to the NFL. You're always going to get a couple injured games here and there. Always grab the unders. Okay, so I I had this tweet a couple days ago. I go, one day sports business textbooks will be written on how poorly the Jets handled the Aaron Rodgers trade negotiation. So I was talking to someone in the know, and sometimes I tweet things because I kind of mess around a little bit, and other times I hear things. For Aaron Rodgers, let's let's play this thing through. Aaron Rodgers goes on the Pat McAfee show and says, my intention is to play for the New York Jets. So somebody said, this is going back and forth with someone, and someone was like, well, don't you think that, you know, he maybe he did that on his own. Like, maybe the Jets didn't tell him to do that. And I'm like, Aaron Rodgers would not have gone on the Pat McAfee show and said, my intention is to go play for the Jets unless I would think he had the approval of the Jets because let's say he didn't have the approval of the Jets and he just went into business for himself. That would be a horrendous way to start the Aaron Rodgers, New York Jets era. I just, it wouldn't make any sense. That would be an inclination for the Jets to maybe not trade for him. So I would think that he got the blessing from someone with the Jets. Obviously there's tampering concerns and all this because right now Rodgers is a member of the Packers, but whether it's through his agent or somebody else, I would think that message was kind of given the okay, because I don't see it. Ralston Jets would just say, you know what? This guy is a complete loon. We do not want him on the team. He's already disobeying us, already driving the price up. The Jets don't need Aaron Rodgers. They they do not. Like, I know Jets fans are really excited for Aaron Rodgers, but you just drove up the price significantly. And now Jets fans and the Jets GM, Jets ownership, everyone feels the pressure to get Aaron Rodgers because... Uh, because he said it, right? And the Packers have a lot of leverage here. I don't think Aaron Rodgers wants to play for them. And it seemed like the Jets have put their foot in the sand. So if the Jets don't come through and get Aaron Rodgers, and there's like a Donovan Mitchell type situation, right? Where like the Knicks kind of let it know to everybody that they wanted Donovan Mitchell. And all of a sudden, like uh, the, you know, the Jazz went out of the way to trade him to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that's, that's my fear in this situation. I sense that the Jets overplayed their hand. That's, that's my sense of it. But We'll see. I, I do think the Jets messed this up. We'll see. I don't, I don't know. It's not tampering or anything like that. But from a trade perspective, which I guess is somewhat sports law, it's deal making. I am shocked that a deal has not been consummated at this point. I just I think it's unfathomable unless a grand mistake was made. We'll see who it is. We'll see if the Packers reneged on some compensation, as I've seen some reports on. But I tend to think it was the Jets forcing the issue and maybe uh, overplaying their hand. That's that's my sense. Mike, anything else to add on this before we do some mixing, some Joe Mixon? Maybe kudos to the Packers for holding their cards. I mean, they know that maybe Rodgers doesn't want to play for them, and they know if a team is highly desiring him like this, like if the Jets screw that up, then they, they probably have the right to ask for more. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Agreed. My gut is that the Jets messed this up. Kudos to the Packers if that's the case, but I have a feeling that 
the Jets, like, I, I guess I'll put, I'll actually say what my actual theory is, right? Remember when everyone was like, we're not signing Lamar Jackson, we're out, Lamar Jackson, we're out. If the Jets made it known, like, maybe we're in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes, maybe we're in this sweepstakes, maybe we're here, maybe we're there, maybe we're, we can have any number of plans. But now that it seems like from back channels, the Jets made it known, like, this is their guy, you know, like, they don't want anybody else. They're not in the market for a trade from anybody else. This is who they want. I think they've kind of worked themselves into a corner. Now they have to pay whatever this King's ransom is. Is what it is. I am not a Jets fan. I'm a New York football fan. So, you know, I root for the Giants. I root for the Jets. Maybe that's taboo. I like when New York football is good and I hate to see the Jets get screwed again, but seemingly a cursed franchise. You said you're a New York football fan and you named the two teams that play in New Jersey. I'm a Bills fan. You know, I'm a Bills fan too. I root for all teams with the word New York in front of them. Mike, let's do this. Latest on Mixon and then we'll do the commander stuff pretty quick because I imagine we're going to get a new announcement on the commander stuff. News reports came out about the Joe Mixon story that uh, a teenager had been shot from a gun that was fired at Joe Mixon's property. Um, You know, reports looked like it was, you know, they weren't saying it was Mixon, but it was, it was kind of, you know, it was crazy being like, you know, a teenager and their friends were having like this nerf battle with, you know, you know, foam nerf bullet guns and and kind of running around at night. It was, I think, 830 at night. But the prosecution has done an announcement here. They stated that Joe Mixon's sister, Shalanda Mixon, her boyfriend, Lamonte Brewer and Shalanda and Joe were all at Joe's house and they were all in the backyard. And there's video evidence of the three of them being in the backyard. Joe Mixon's neighbor, who is a 16-year-old, was having, like I like I said, like a Nerf battle where they were using, you know, fake Nerf guns, you know, foam guns that, you know, were running around outside, you know, with a bunch of his friends. Lamonte Brewer ends up opening fire. They say from 10 to 11 bullets were shot at this 16-year-old, one almost potentially hitting him in the head, and he ultimately did hit him in the foot. He's now facing four charges, the worst being a felony assault. And he could be facing 20 years. But the other interesting piece of this as well is the video evidence shows Shalanda Mixon picking up the gun casings and then her and Lamonte end up getting a car and driving away before Lamonte is is pulled over and they find the, they find the weapon. So she's now being charged as well. She's facing up to four years and she's facing one count of, I think, tampering with evidence and one count with uh, uh, for obstruction of justice. So that's really the news here in this um, announcement from the prosecution. But they're also, I think, the key point here is Joe Mixon is not going to be criminally charged. And they specifically stated that the conduct that he did while he was there does not rise to any sort of criminal action. He was in possession of a weapon as well. The video does show him, but he is a legal gun owner. And they said that he was lawfully possessing his weapon. He did not brandish his weapon. He did not draw his weapon. Um, So they said that they're not going to file any criminal charges against him. Mixon's agent made a comment about it as well, basically saying that Mixon has been facing threats on social media, uh, some some levels of death threats, which is why he is in possession of the gun. Mixon's agent also was kind of alluding to the fact that they witnessed the teenager being an individual, you know, carrying what appeared to be a rifle and barking instructions and whatever they were doing in this kind of nerf war, nerf battle. So it kind of looks like maybe what Lamonte and um, Shalanda Mixon are going to be claiming is some sort of self-defense. I, I don't know. But in terms of using I, I, what I could only imagine is deadly force, you're using a weapon with intent to kind of injure somebody, right? So deadly force for self-defense, you have to have a reasonable apprehension of fear or death. It has to rise to the same level. So 
and it has to be, like I said, reasonable. So like if somebody's approaching you with a Nerf gun, Dan, does that, does that rise to the level of an app, you know, a significant fear of, of death? Depends what color the Nerf gun is. What color is the Nerf gun? Like? Is it like orange or is it black? Most Nerf guns are some sort of neon color. Let's say you spray paint the thing black, Mike. There might be some uh, additional factors Maybe. that we're not aware of. Yeah, but if we, I mean, listen, listen, let's say it's dark. There's no lights. You have no idea. Maybe you're looking at the shape of a gun and someone shouting Call of Duty-esque commands and there's a grenade and man down and, you know, move over here or stop or I'll shoot you. Like wh whatever you could say in a game involving Nerf guns. Maybe you're not looking necessarily at the color, man. I mean, I imagine like my Nerf guns are like neon orange, neon green, like, you know, way back when. But I have no idea what the kids, what kind of Nerf guns the kids are playing with these days. Reasonable is important. I just, you know, from our from our sports standpoint, like, you know, I mean, like, do, do people like reasonably do you? And I, I don't know what Mike, do we know what time this happened at? Was it like 830 p.m.? Do we think there's like an ascent, like a descent of like. 20 people playing like coming in as like manhunts coming to attack your house like is it reasonable to think that maybe maybe it's reasonable i'm not sure we don't know what the conditions were I but saw joe didn't joe didn't draw his gun so he didn't have the fear someone reasonably had the fear right lamonte i guess i mean that he was the one but i mean <laughs> but again like i would imagine you'd have to hear it's not like this entire pack of teenagers attacked their house, right? I have to imagine that they probably heard them running around playing like the Nerf Wars before. Like, was this like some sort of plan where they all like met up and like, oh, we're going to go punk Joe Mixon and then shoot him with Nerf guns? Or were they like running around yelling like you could clearly hear that they were moving around and and yeah, it's, I mean, it's, some Nerf guns you can hear you can hear the like the little pop of it. I'll tell you a story for some some personal experience. My uh, my parents' house, there were some neighborhood kids that would like run around. They would run around the neighborhood, but they would run around my parents' backyard. Like, and they would whatever laps they were doing, they would constantly go in my my parents' backyard. So you know, like, were they ever attacking the house? No, but it, but if you knew these kind of kids' patterns, like you knew nothing bad was going to happen. They were just being annoying and making noise in the backyard. Now. We have to get some more facts as to whether the people that are involved with shooting here knew those particular patterns, right? I'm not going to lie. Like when those kids would run through the backyard, like I would get really annoyed. And like if if hypothetically I had like a paintball gun or something, maybe I would feel inclined to do something like mischievous. But like, you know, obviously I never did. But like would I if I had that fact that those people would constantly run through my parents' backyard, like I don't think they're attacking my house. I don't think I'm in reasonable fear of safety or harm, especially if they've done a lot. So we're going to need to find out some more facts here. But for our sports purposes, I think Matt Timpanic was on the podcast talking about this. It's like, you know, can't, it's not a good look for Joe Mixon, especially in like, you know, cut season where running backs are getting cut left and right. Zeke just got cut, you know, from the from the Cowboys. So I don't know. My prediction is that Joe Mixon is not long for the Cincinnati Bengals. So uh, we, didn't, we don't need to talk about that much more. But at least, Mike, this seems to clear up the issue as to whether or not Joe Mixon was involved. At least that's the story we're being told. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. OK, uh, let's let's do this quick and then and then we'll go home. What is seemingly looming, Mike, I'll, I'll give I'll give a, enough. You tell me if I'm missing anything. This seems to be inklings, reports of a hot seat of a hot seat that Dan Snyder is about to get off because the team seemingly reportedly might be getting sold. So there's a report that came out last week that the Snyders have cleared out all of their belongings from the stadium. So I guess that happened in December. We're just finding out that news now. So there's nothing in the stadium. The Snyders have removed everything from the stadium. Interesting. Interesting. And then uh, we have some reports 
Again, allegedly, reportedly, uh, Ben Standig, uh, Stephanie, I think, is friends with Ben. But Ben has been looking, doing some deep diving into Washington Commander's contracts and the bonuses to be paid out normally is paid out pretty quickly. But these bonuses are being paid out, I think it's like a couple months down the road. So at least according to Ben Standing and, and I think Pro Football Tech Mike Florio had the same report that like this seems to be an indication that maybe a new owner is going to pick up the tab for these bonuses. And then there's all these reports that smoke that the team is going to be sold. People are talking about on the radio. And then uh, I'll just cover this quickly. Right. There's reports in, amongst all of this that like, OK, Snyder's finally on his way out. There's maybe been a buyer that's been selected, all this stuff. In the middle of everything, right in advance of owners' meetings, owners' meetings are supposed to occur a week from today, basically March 26th through, I think, the 29th over in Arizona. Roger Goodell signs a multi-year extension with the NFL. I think there was a report from the New York Times that he was making legitimately like $50 million a year, that he'd made close to like $500 million in his tenure with the league. And this new contract that he's signing, you know, fully guaranteed. I don't know the terms of his other details, of his other contracts, but... You know, this seems to be kind of interesting. In advance of the owners' meetings, Roger Goodell gets to, you know, resigns for a couple new years, and it comes on the heels of all these kind of smoke signals that it looks like the Snyder problem might be being solved. So, Mike, I put it there. I tie it with a nice little bow. I'm getting the sense that the sale is imminent on the commander's front. What what say you, Mike? As much as I think Snyder wants to, I don't know. I don't even know if Snyder wants to sell. I mean, maybe he's just pushing for the price to go up. I mean, to sell it for like $8 billion, but... I think I think they're getting close, right? There's three potential suitors, right? Uh, Jeff Bezos, Josh Harris, and uh, Tillman Fertitta. I mean, he's not released from the financial investigations that are happening, right? Like, okay, Commander's chapter is over, but there's still the federal investigations into fraud and wire, you know, wire fraud, and I don't know what happens with Mary Jo White's report if that's the case, right? Does does the NFL stop their investigation once the sale is complete? You know, there's a lot of things that kind of has to happen. And I think I think it is perfect timing that the owners now are slated to renew Roger Goodell's contract here. Right. Whatever's happening. I mean, the other thing, too, with the sale is there's confidentiality agreement. So we have no idea what's actually happening. We're getting like bits and pieces of reporting. But all the people who are in the negotiations for the sale are, are sworn to their confidentiality. So until something leaks like major, we, we don't really know what's going to end up happening. But the way that the NFL owners are enjoying as much confidentiality that's been provided to Dan Snyder. They're going to be happy when Dan Snyder's out and they're going to maintain that precedent of this confidentiality where nobody had to open the books. Kind of. I mean, there's this investigation that's confidential and, you know, nobody sees reports. So yeah, of course they're going to keep, keep pushing along uh, Roger Goodell because if somebody else new comes in, that they see the circus that's been going on, they might not get that type of, you know, treatment. And I think this answers the question, right? Are people, you know, Don Vinata was on our show not so long ago. We had this big report by ESPN, like, you know, an alleged cover-up by Roger Goodell. And he knew more than he was letting on. And the NFL arbitrator knew this. And this one knew this. And everyone knew this. And Roger Goodell tried to cover it up. And the question is, like, are NFL owners happy with the way that Roger Goodell has attempted to sweep this thing under the rug? Resoundingly, the answer is yes, because right. otherwise you wouldn't get this contract extension. You wouldn't be getting paid $50 million a year, right? So all this stuff. So we can kind of, you know, laugh as a sports law public or, you know, our audience can say like, you know, haha, Roger Goodell covered this thing up. But like, that's what he's paid to do. He's paid to be the cleaner. He's paid to be the janitor, clean up all the mistakes, the punching bag. 
And in that sense, Roger Goodell does a great job. So we'll see what the future of Dan Snyder holds. But Roger Goodell is going to be with us for a long time. I, all the people in my replies, they're like, they think it's a done deal. So I hope they're right. But, you know, nothing would shock me with Snyder. To go along with that whole Goodell, like in on it, sweeping under the rug, the $450 million loan and whatnot, too. That was a new report that came out, too, from Mary Jo White's report saying that Dan Snyder pays himself a salary. I don't think any other owner does that. So he paid him. He The last reported payment was $10 million a year and that she's now claiming that he gave himself a, quote, substantial raise that was right around the time that that loan came in. So she's investigating whether or not he is using these loans improperly to give himself some sort of substantial pay raise. Because in and of itself, the pay raise, she's, you know, they're saying is not a violation of, of any sort of owner's agreement, but the, you know, improperly gaining these loans to use for the team, but then using it actually as just a, a raise for yourself would be. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to this. And we've unpacked it so many different ways and so many different angles. And we've had a lot of guests on to talk about it. And um, I think what happens when Snyder sells and then takes his private jet and flies across the country? I think we're getting towards a conclusion. We'll see. So before we wrap, you know, I guess because Dan Snyder might need a good attorney at some point, assuming assuming there is a lawsuit filed in the state of Nebraska. I would tell Dan Snyder, even though we don't love Dan Snyder, to hire our friends over at Orr and Horgan Law. I'll say it, the best lawyers in the state of Nebraska. So if you're looking for help in and around you know, the state of Nebraska, our friends over at Orr and Horgan are our guys. And if you're looking for advice on the college sports fronts, those guys... Without revealing any uh, client confidence, I'm sure they can tell you uh, the work they do specifically in that sphere. So yeah, at some point we'll get Tom and Connor back on the show. I'm trying to find a date for them, but we'll make it work. So Mike, in conclusion, in closing this episode, I want people to look forward to one thing. Are you ready for this, Mike? I'm ready. Are you a hockey fan? I will follow the playoffs. I had a dream last night. You know, you know what the dream was? About hockey. Yeah, and I don't dream about hockey very often. Rangers winning the cup. Rangers winning the cup. And I'm actually not really a hockey fan. I dabble in the arts of uh, the black arts of sports betting. I've, I've bet that have, I'm not discriminated against any sports. I bet on the world baseball classic. I bet on golf. I bet on tennis. I bet on formula one. I had a dream last night that the Rangers won the cup, but I didn't go out and bet on the Rangers. What I did, cause I was trying to hedge myself a little bit. I bet plus two fifty that a team from the uh, metropolitan division, that's going to cover the Hurricanes, the Devils, the Islanders, the Rangers, and perhaps the Penguins if they make the playoffs. I bet plus 250 that one of those teams emerges holding the cup. So I didn't quite trust my dream. Maybe it was a little foggy. Maybe I was thinking Rangers, but it was actually Islanders. It was actually <clears throat> a lot of teams around here. So plus 250, that's my bet. That's my bet. That's my what What to watch for in terms of bets, Mike. How about that? Who's the favorite to win the cup this year? I think the Bruins. Bruins are heavy favorite. The Bruins, right? I, I think didn't the I just saw that the Lightning lost Stamkos, I think, for the year. Listen, I don't follow hockey that much. I just follow money. Money, 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 money. Question. Am I unpatriotic if I bet on Japan to win the World Baseball Classic? Is that really bad? Is it because you just want Shohei? I just wasn't buying USA's hype and I wasn't buying the Dominican Republic's hype. And the problem is now, as we're recording this, Japan just won. Uh they beat Mexico, they came from behind six five. And the problem is I have a very large future on Japan. So now I have to root for Japan tomorrow night in the World Baseball Classic against USA. I feel very unpatriotic. I feel very bad right now. I think that's unpatriotic. I feel like I'm going to get reported and I feel like I'm going to lose my sports card because I'm betting. I'm not rooting for Japan, but I will profit if Japan wins. 
in the in the other context, Trey Turner, who's got about 40 postseason games in his under his belt, said that the World Baseball Classic is the most excited game he's ever played in. And that Grand Slam was like the most intense game he's ever you know had. So in on the flip side, probably one of the most patriotic things Trey Turner's ever said. I don't think that that cancels out my unpatriotism, but like I already have my bet. Maybe I need to cash out so I don't feel as bad and I'll take my my slight profit on the cash out option, but a moral uh, cash out clause. I do. I feel really bad right now. I don't. I don't know what I was thinking when I made that Japan, but but I just thought I thought you were really good out. though if Japan wins. Yeah, but I don't think I can watch a game and root against America. <laughs> I just don't think I can do that. Um, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. There's a decent amount of money on the line here. You're the type of person that watches Miracle on Ice and roots against the USA. No, I don't because that already happened. But this is now. A- <laughs> current dilemma okay mike i think we can end this here let's see we'll see if we have another uh another episode this week we have some stuff brewing in the nil front but we we try to collect them for one of our terran episodes but topics to cover maybe in the next couple of days the st john's potential wrongful termination the hiring rick, rick patino we're on it we're paying attention to it so we appreciate all the tags this week and maybe maybe for a story uh out of st louis we're following it. We just pay attention. We're following the soccer story out of St. Louis. So we might have Wallach on the podcast next couple of days. Okay, Mike, I think we're good to wrap. Are we good to go? We're good. For all of us here at Conduct Detrimental, we will see you all next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Conduct Detrimental.